welcome to Get Divorced Without Getting Screwed, a podcast for men who are thinking about divorce in the middle of one now or are recovering from this horrible process. You will get advice from experts and hear inspirational stories of men just like you who have survived divorce. Now, let's get to work. Welcome back to the show. I am John Knocklinger, the men's divorce coach and mentor. I'm a recovering divorce attorney and the founder of Divorce Shield, a company exclusively devoted to training men how to plan for, navigate, and recover from divorce. You can find out more about us and join our men's divorce support community at thedivorceshield.com. Today, my guest is James Bastian. He is an entrepreneur, writer, and father. He's also divorced. We're going to talk to him about his divorce, the lessons he learned, and how he's now co-parenting with his ex-wife. Thank you for being here, James. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me out, John. This is a, an honor. I'm excited to speak to you and uh, to your audience. So. Great. So why don't we just start kind of back at the beginning? When and where did you meet your ex-wife? Oh, that's a good question. So, man, that was a long time ago. I was, uh, we, we dated in a fit and start sort of way. We dated two different times. Uh, I met her as an undergraduate student at BYU. And then I actually married her when I was finishing up my graduate degree at USC in Southern California. Um, she was finishing up an MBA at the time and we started dating. And uh, anyway, yeah, interesting story. Uh, the, she was, as far as dating goes, of all the women who broke my heart, the first time around, man, she shattered my heart. She was so cruel and so bloodless. And sometimes I wonder about that. It's like, why didn't I learn my lesson, you know? <laughs> <laughs> could have avoided a lot of trauma later on in life. Although that said, I mean, I want to be completely clear and on the record. I have four amazing kids. I wouldn't change a thing. Wouldn't change a single thing to have them. So anyway. That's so great to hear. That's great to hear that. I when people tell me how much they hate their ex-wife or, you know, how horrible things were and they have kids, you know, they always have to keep that in perspective. Is you got these wonderful kids. So it's not all bad. Because people tend to remember bad stuff more so than good stuff whenever it's trauma like a divorce and there's you know guys that have so much great stuff so you so you you dated her you guys broke up and then you got back together how long were you guys separated before you got back uh, together? I think it was a couple of years it was kind of a so she's originally she's french and so that was part of the relationship um when i originally met her that was kind of my pickup line I'd been away for a few years. I had a year to kill at school before I started graduate school. And I met her at a dance of all things and said, Hey, you know, I'm learning French. Uh, I was like in French 101. And then later after she broke up with me, I spent a summer in France working. My French got a lot better, ran into her again, just kind of, you know, out of the blue and started speaking French to her. And she's like, Whoa, <laughs> how did that happen? Um, then time went by, I went to school and, Man, I came home. Um, I actually lived here in this community. My parents were here, came home to visit for a weekend, ran into some, to some old friends, and they said, hey, you know, so-and-so is still around. If you want to get a date and come out with us, then that would be great. And <laughs> it started all over again. And then this time around, <laughs> I ended up sealing the deal, and it worked. And um, again, it's it's an interesting story. It's a great story. I I don't regret any of that. You know, it was it was beautiful. Um, I heard a lot of things through the divorce about, oh, you know, I had all these red flags coming from her point. You know, I didn't love you. I never loved you. This was stupid to get married to. Why did I do it? And, you know, I look back at that time and go, no, that's, that's not true. I mean, you can rewrite the narrative later on, but uh, I'm a very passionate romantic sort of guy. And so that stuff hits me hard. Uh, it was interesting after the divorce, I was looking through some old stuff and I had these letters come out from you know, my then wife early on in our marriage and having heard, I never loved you. I shouldn't have done this. I knew I shouldn't have married you. But then reading these early letters, I love you so much. I miss you so much. I can't wait. To you know, it's just interesting. The stories that we tell ourselves to get through hard things. Um, I'm a storyteller and it is fascinating. The human psyche. Now I never loved you. But 20 years ago, 25 years ago, she couldn't survive a day without me. She was writing me a letter every day. She loved me. It was crazy about me. Go figure. So, but she knows you're a romantic guy. So, you know, those comments are just directed to hurt you. I mean, 
Exactly. There's no way she believes what she's saying. I mean, she's just trying to hurt you. That that there's there's a lot of truth to that. Um, there's also truth to the idea that opposites attract. So she uh, is more analytical, cerebral. Um, these are things that she thinks now, and I think she is so in her way of thinking. And you know, everybody has a different. I'm expressive. I tell you what I feel. And in her head, she thinks it out. And so once she thinks, okay, the way I remember it now is I never loved him. That's the way it is, you know? So she she will go to her deathbed probably believing that. And I could show her, hey, well, you wrote these letters. Look at this. <laughs> Not that it matters at this point. Um, it is part of, I think, the healing process to hear all of these things. And that, I think, was very devastating in my divorce to have attorneys guiding her and what to say family members guiding her and what to say knowing where my soft underbelly is and just leveraging the heck out of things like that like your kids the kids hate you the kids will never live with you now all the evidence around me in my world said that's not true i've invested so heavily in my kids i have a great relationship with my kids but she would say no they hate you they're never going to live with you and so you hear that and you're like, huh, I don't know if I believe that. And I would come back to her probably saying something like that. I don't believe it. And of course she would respond to that saying, well, I've lived with you for 20, whatever years. I know you better than anybody else. And I know them better than anybody else. So what I'm saying is the truth and you need to believe it. And I started to, um, and that made the divorce exceptionally painful. Mm. So how old were you when you got married? Uh, 27, 28, something like that. So my late twenties. Did you already have a career started? Um, I was just finishing graduate school, but I was working at Paramount at the time, working in the entertainment industry, um, getting ready to, we actually ended up moving to Paris right after we got uh, married. And I was a guest scholar there, um, started working in the entertainment industry there as well. So things were moving pretty quickly. Um, I was producing events in Los Angeles as well. So yeah, there was a lot of really good stuff going on at the time. I wasn't deep into my career yet, you know, still student, but very much launching into my career at that point. So can you still speak French? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, so all of our kids, we spoke French at home with them. All of us were dual citizens. Um, that interestingly, I would say was something, you know, when we lived in Paris, I went through the process of becoming a French citizen. And it's an arduous process, you know, they're very protective of citizenship in that country. Um, it involved a lot of crazy stuff. Like they showed up at my in-laws house, the police did one night, in the middle of the night saying, hey, are they in bed together? You know, we're we want to see if this guy is actually married to your daughter. Um, and I would always kind of go, why am I doing this? This is a pain, you know, I don't, it's not like France and America are at war with each other or anything. But somewhere in the back of my head, I would just think, you know, there's something about this that's smart. And you probably know this as an attorney. You go into a meeting with an attorney, you know, you're getting consults early on. And the first thing they, they say when they hear your wife's from another country is you're going to lose the kids and you're never going to see them again. Um, happens at least around here a lot. But having that French citizenship, even if she would have tried to take off with the kids, I could go and prosecute her in the court there as well. It didn't give her that advantage that otherwise she probably would have had. So anyway, uh, I always suggest that when I run into people who are married to, you know, folks from other countries, go through the process if you can and get this, the citizenship. And most countries will let you have dual, you, you can have that in the U.S. You can have a dual citizenship. Um, if only for that reason. I mean, you don't ever want to plan for divorce. I, I guess that's not really the outcome I was looking for. I didn't think that was in my future. But I was so grateful to have that once the divorce happened, just knowing that because I've seen it. It does happen. People take off the, the, the wife or the husband will take off, take the kids and you're going to have a really hard time ever getting them back, you know, just the way international law works. So, Yeah, sure. And that happens far more frequently than um, most people are aware of. Um, I've actually never heard of anyone give the advice that if you're married to somebody who's a citizen of another country, you should go and try to get citizenship there or get dual citizenship. That's really great advice. 
particularly in some of the countries that are a little bit harder to deal with. And, um, you know, we're not going to talk about it on this show, but there, you know, there are certain countries that are very difficult to get kids back from, um, particularly, you know, the Asian and Middle Eastern countries in particular. Europe's a little bit easier to some degree, but still that was, that's really rough. So how old were you when you first had your first child? Um, gosh, so I think 29, 30 was just a, you know, about a year into the marriage, we got pregnant and our daughter was actually born in Paris. So that was a really cool experience um to to have her there and to go through the process there um so yeah we started having kids pretty early on and i mean it was magical it's one of my you know one of my lifelong favorite moments is just remembering you know having them place her in my arms for the first time as everybody knows it's a parent it's like bang you know just who knew this much love existed in the universe and where did it all of a sudden come from but this is you're mine now and I'm going to take care of you, you know, and this is my role. Um, so anyway, that, that was, yeah, that's not to jump ahead of you, but the parenting piece has been for me always so quintessential. It's been everything. And I put so much focus on it. Um, going through a divorce, all of that deposit, all of that effort, has paid off in a huge way and an unexpected way, even after having all of this pushback saying, hey, you know, you're not loved, you're not wanted, you're not a good dad, you failed at all of these things, you're failing at your marriage, you're never gonna end up with your children, they're never gonna wanna be with you. Because that's, I think that's a pretty standard response, you know? Um, and, and I know in her case, the attorneys that she was working with were actually really pushing that they had documents saying, this is what you need to tell him. Um, in our state, it's very, very common for a woman to attorney up and then just hit the man so hard that he goes, oh man, I can't, I can't take this. Show me where to sign. I just got to get out. And I've seen best friends, one of my best friends, brilliant guy, real estate seminar guy worth, you know, who knows how much money got hit that way. And he just went, show me where to sign. I can't take it mm. away. And to this day, he's not in a place where his kids are as much of a part of his life as he'd like them to be. And, he, you know, he gave up a lot, um, which. I was, I guess I was fortunate to see him go through that before and see other people go through divorce and had the wherewithal to say, you know, you can say whatever you want. It hurts and I'm going to suffer, but I'm not going to back off. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to walk away. Um, I think that advice for dads, you know, I'm trying to think where I heard it from originally. Um, if you're in a divorce situation, don't leave the house until you absolutely, the court tells you, you have to go because once you're out, you're out and you lose so much leverage. And more than that, you lose that constant interface and contact with your children. And somewhere I think in their heads, a lot of times they go, oh, dad just chose to leave. And my kids, that was one of the beautiful things. Um, you know, the divorce as it played out, I was told, okay, I don't love you anymore. We're getting a divorce, but sure, I'll go through the motions. We'll go to counseling for a while. I'll think about this for a while. You know, in retrospect, she already knew what she was going to do, but this was saving face. This was preparing things for the court. This was, you know, hoarding a lot of money and so forth. Um, so going through that process, I, rather than just check out, I stuck it out and I worked really hard to try to be the best person I could be, even though it was so painful, tried to be you know, even save the marriage, what I thought was doing everything I could. And it was nice to be in the home because the kids were watching that. So they never have to tell themselves, okay, this hard thing happened. And what dad did was he checked out and took care of himself and he just left us. They know I fought for them. They know I fought for the marriage. And, you know, here we are five years later. And, you know, I've the full-time dad, my three sons that were in the custody case have all come to live with me full time. I'm their safe place. Um, and that decision was based, you know, in part on the way I handled the divorce early on. They knew they could count on me. Um, they knew, they all know that I wasn't treated really well. And I, you know, I, I actually am the, 
their mom's biggest champion most of the time. I try to encourage them to see her, say nice things about her, trying to build her up. You know, a lot of compassion. Hey, I know mom's hard. I, <laughs> trust me, I've been there, but she means well. She loves you. Um, and in truth, I don't really have to say that. A lot of people would say, you have no reason to say that. You should say everything but those things. But I found that if you want your kids to love you and trust you, you know, they're 50% her. And if you badmouth her, they're going to take that as somewhere inside. It's like, huh, well, I'm half her. And maybe that means I'm a bad person too. You just build, just love. And man, I've had them. They gravitate to me, um, which has been beautiful and amazing and reaffirming. Um, it also comes, it's, a, it's its own its own set of challenges though, too, to have, you know, uh, kids living with you full time. How do you manage your time? How do you date? How do you afford to feed them all? Um, how do you, you know, structure your life in such a way to be a single full-time parent? It's pretty intense. So Wow. There's a lot to unpack there that uh, <laughs> you just went through. I will say that advice about not leaving the house until you have an agreement with regard to the kids is so important. I mean, it is the number one piece of advice any man should take to heart. Doesn't matter how difficult it is, doesn't matter how much you know stress you're under because of the constant fighting or whatever else is going on in your house. You know, remind yourself of your children. And once you do leave, I think you hit the nail on the head. Most guys will look at it from the standpoint of the law and what's gonna happen with me legally. But I think that you just, pinpointed what I think is the more important thing, which is what are your kids seeing? What are they seeing? If you're like leaving the house, they might, like you just pointed out, think that you're leaving, that it's you're the one that's breaking up the marriage, yeah. and then they'll have more resentfulness towards you. Um, I do think that speaking um, as positive as possible about the other parent is so important. Uh, not only because that is good for you and good for your own mental health and your own, your own mindset. But really, as you just um, have shown everybody, when you do that with your kids, as they age and as they get older, they will gravitate to you because of the positiveness. Mm -hmm. No one wants to hear their, their mother or father just talk you know, crap about their other, the other parent all the time. No child wants to do that. So how many children do you have? So I've got four total. I've got a daughter, my oldest, um, and then I've got three sons. So my daughter was just finishing up high school when the divorce started. So when it was finalized, she was away at college. And then I have three boys that, you know, I've got two at home now. I've got my oldest son is off at college. He's actually married now. My daughter's married too. So that, that as well as, um, has been reaffirming to me to see that even though they saw their parents' divorce blow up, they have enough faith in the process. They see that there's still goodness. They risked it. They, they found really incredible people to marry. I mean, I, so, you know, typically I have six kids because I count my two in-law kids as my children as well. I mean, they totally love them the same way. Everything's equal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my life has been really, really richly blessed even after this divorce. And the divorce was, I mean, man, <laughs> all the guys out there that are going through this right now, I don't envy you. It's hard. It really, really is hard. It's, it's something that... Uh, you don't want, you don't ask for, but it happens to you. And I guess the bottom line with it is you do have a choice though, is you get to choose how are you gonna come through this? Are you gonna come through it bitter? You're gonna come through it um, just surviving by the skin of your teeth or you're gonna look at it as an opportunity and go, you know what? This sucks, but this is the best thing that's ever happened to me and I'm gonna embrace it and I'm gonna go forward. This is an opportunity to shed some dead weight, to really do a deep dive on who am I and what am I about and what's important to me and can I be a better human being? And I think if you do that, you know, it, it is a beautiful thing. Um, it's a hard thing, but it can be reframed to be actually a really beautiful opportunity. So. I think those comments are just wonderful, James. You know, a lot of men, when they've been married for a while and they have a bunch of kids and they're, you know, working, um, they'll lose sight of being happy. 
the loose side of direction, the loose side about their why. Why, why am I here? What yeah. is my purpose in life? They'll lose sight of that. And so the divorce is so much harder for them because yeah. they don't know what they're going to do now. Like, what am I going to do now? Because they haven't thought about themselves. And I think that you're absolutely right. When you get divorced, it's an opportunity for you to self-reflect, for you to think about what makes you happy, what you wanted to do in life, where you want to travel, you know, where are those places you wanted to go that your wife never wanted to go or whatever. I, I cannot agree with you more. And um, just if you always take something negative and try to find positive out of it, not just divorce, but anything in life, you're going to have a much happier life anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about, I wanted to ask you about your religion and how it impacted your marriage. So you're Mormon. Yeah. And um, so how did that, let's start with, how did that uh, impact you getting married and having children? Um, well, I would say, you know, you culturally, marriage is a very important part of what we believe. And it's something that we take very seriously. We tend to look at it not just as a lifetime commitment, but as an eternal commitment. Like this is the person you're going to be with for a really long time. And so, you know, when we go start dating seriously, you don't typically move in with somebody. You start planning more in terms of, okay, we're going to get married and then we'll live together. Then we'll go down that road. Um, so that tends to put you know, a certain direction on dating that is maybe not so common. You know, it used to be, I think, the standard, but now in the world, it's not as common. Um, maybe that's some pressure. There's probably some truth to that. Um, although, I don't know. I, I think the jury's still out. And in some ways, you know, I know some very wise people that will say, man, I've been around and I've seen marriages come and go. I've seen so many blow up the ones I think are the best are the ones where kids get married young, kind of like my kids are pretty young. You just figure each other out as you're going along and then nothing rattles you. Whereas if you come to it a little later, sometimes you're pretty developed. And this person's pretty developed. You have stuff that's just pulling you together, but you really don't know what hard things are going to come along still. And when the hard things come along, those differences can get you to shift out of it pretty quickly. Um, so, I don't know. I guess I would champion that still. I, I still want to get remarried. I'm, you know, working on that. Um, if you would have told me five years ago that I would be remarried by this point, I would have thought you were crazy. But uh, man, it's been a harder road than I thought it would be. As far as having kids go, you know, I don't know that um, there's family is a big part of our culture. I won't lie. That is a big deal. I grew up, I have five or four siblings. You know, the five kids in my family, my family's still incredibly close. Um, the woman I married, her family was converted to the Mormon faith. She comes from a big family. They're a very French Catholic family before, which, you know, they also had a huge family. She had five siblings. So having children was just kind of a no brainer. That's what we, what our experience was. And that's what we were planning to do. Um, and so, yeah, we got started. Um, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. I found out she was very, you know, we, we, we thought, okay, we'll be married for a year then we'll just kind of see about having kids, you know, no rush. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. And I'll never forget. We tried one time, you know, first bang. It was like, Oh wow. <laughs> She's pregnant. Here we go. I guess that's what's supposed to happen. You know? So anyway, more than you wanted to know, but, uh, <laughs> No, that's that's great. Well, let's let's go to the end of it, uh, to the divorce. How how did your religion um, sort of impact your divorce? Oh, that's a good question. So, I think it um, from a religious point of view, spiritual point of view, it's intense because you have believed that this thing was something that would last, outlast just lifetime and kind of mortal existence, but continue on. And when that is severed, you know, we have a belief that families are an eternal thing that, you know, my kids will always be my kids. Now it's not going to be me, you know, up in the afterlife with a bunch of little kids that all be adults and they'll have their stuff, but those connections are important and they remain. Um, 
And I'm assuming that most people believe that otherwise, anyways, that your kids are always going to be a part of your existence, wherever it turns out you go or what you perceive as the afterlife being. Um, but in our faith, it's really a pretty profound uh, doctrine and something that a lot of people gravitate to. It's something you grow up believing that, you know, hey, this is, I'm building this for the long run. And so when it's severed, it, it really, takes a huge toll on you. I mean, it's like, wow, okay, well, what does this mean for my future? Does this mean that my kids aren't going to be a part of that? Does this mean this person that I was with? So, okay, I'm not going to have that anymore. What do I do? What does it look like now? Um, so that was pretty heavy, really. I mean, a lot, a lot of uh, uncertainty, a lot of pain associated with that. So just the, the spiritual aspect of it. Then culturally, you know, um, one of the first people you reach out to, and I'm assuming this is true of most people that are, you know, religious of any, or, you know, you don't have to necessarily be religious, but you have a support group that's a cultural support group. You usually reach out to somebody in that group, say, okay, this is happening. We need help. Can you help us? Um, so we reached out, I reached out to a religious leader and, you know, talked to him. Turns out he's an attorney, does divorces, you know, great guy. Um, he got us into counseling. You know, there's a, anyway, I mean, those are pretty standard steps, but where it becomes tricky is the, the group, I guess, our support group was a shared support group through, you know, our faith, our religion, um, the people we go to church with or whatever. And again, I, I think this is probably pretty standard for most people. Once you get, once it becomes known that you're getting a divorce, people are kind of put in this position, well, who do we choose? Um, who do we support? And I would say in our particular religion there, you know, it's, it's very traditional. Typically the first thought is, or the first question is, oh man, they're getting divorced. So what did he do? You know, okay. have an affair? Did he, what did he do? Beat her up? What, what happens? And so that's, that's something that, you know, I confronted, um, I would say the people that, were in kind of our community at that time that were good friends didn't feel that way. But, you know, some of the older people, some of them, like I have neighbors across the street, um, still to this day, when I'm going over, I'm taking my youngest son over to my old house. He'll come out every so often. He looks at me like I've got the plague, you know, like it's just whatever he's assumed. Uh, and it's not true, but he's got this narrative in his head and, that's hard. You know, it's like, gosh, this is a guy that I used to help and he'd borrow tools and I'd borrow tools. And now he looks at me like I'm just this monster based on, you know, whatever he's heard and whatever cultural things he's processed to think, okay, well, it's always the guy's fault, which as you know, that is not true. In fact, if we were talking before the statistic, I think that struck me this week is that in divorces, if you're, spouse is co uh, college educated 90% of the time it's her that's choosing the divorce so or roughly that's what experts are trying to kind of ferret it out but it's as much as is that high um and most often you know it, it, there's a lot of reasons for that sure maybe the guy screws up but sometimes it's just selfishness it's boredom it's the, you know feeling that the commitment's not there i don't know there are a lot of reasons but that was hard um, in my case was to confront a lot of people that I cared about and to look them in the eyes and feel like, man, they had made a judgment about me that wasn't true and wasn't merited. Now that said, that's the beautiful thing about my relationship with my kids and also just choosing to embrace this and move on. You get beyond that. And I actually, you know, it is funny. I do relish pulling up to that old house and seeing that guy out there and I wave at him. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, I'm doing great. You know, um, just to kind of say, no, you're wrong. Yeah, this is not me. You don't know me. And if that's what you choose to believe, I'm sorry. That's too bad. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that answers your question, John. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really does. I mean, there definitely seems like there is some some, uh, we'll say shame and other difficulties that happen whenever you get divorced, um, particularly if you're very religious. And, you know, because uh, yeah. most religions don't condone 
divorce. <laughs> Most of them really don't want you to ever get divorced because like you pointed out, that defeats the whole purpose of what marriage is really about in the first place. Um, so let's go back to sort of why you got divorced. Who made the decision to get divorced and how did that person communicate it to the other person that made <laughs> it happen? Um, well, so yeah, it was, it was my former spouse who made that decision. And, you know, in retrospect, it was a decision that had been made probably three years before, I, you know, as I got into the thick of looking at the finances and the paperwork and, you know, you kind of go into private eye mode sometimes trying to figure out how to save your bacon and counter all of these things. A lot of preparation had been made over a number of years to make the divorce or ensure that the divorce would be advantageous for her. And so she made that choice. Um, the way it was communicated was, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll never forget it was my birthday. Um, I'd been away at a soccer tournament with one of my, my oldest son. And during that time, a few days away, I got this email from her and it was, was this the weirdest email I'd ever received from her. She was pretty, pretty blunt, pretty demanding. She'd been really demanding a lot of things over the previous months. You know, I need this much money and I need it right now. Um, but it was just a funny email. She was asking for like, I don't know, $12,000. And it was like, I need it in the bank account tonight. Okay. I'm like, okay, that's really weird, you know, because <laughs> what's going on? Just something about the tone really threw me. And I, I remember not sleeping that night, not knowing how to respond to her, kind of feeling, man, this is a different tone than I've ever heard from her before. Got home. It was my birthday. And, you know, we, I think we got home kind of late that day. Remember just going up, being in bed, kind of getting to bed early thinking, okay, well, it's my birthday. You know, this is going to be a good night. Everything else is going on, but at least there'll be that. And she kind of came out and she sat in the bed. She just sat up next to me and just sat there. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? Um, and it seems like it happened pretty quickly. I don't remember the whole buildup, but what I do remember, and I'll never forget it, is she looked at me and she said, I don't love you anymore. It's like, okay, whew, all right, well, what does that mean? I don't love you anymore. Um, okay, well, does that mean you want to get divorced? What does that mean? And she said, I think so. I don't know yet, but I think so. And... Um, it started there, you know, you kind of go into denial. I'm like, huh. I remember going and sleeping on the couch downstairs that night. Um, just thinking, wait, is this, this seems serious. This, I've heard lots of stuff. I mean, our marriage had been characterized by lots of back and forth. There have been some really hard times, but some good times. Um, I really thought, the thing that struck me is I thought, had thought that at that time I was doing a lot of things right. I knew I wasn't perfect. I wasn't doing everything that I, that I could tell she thought I should be doing to make the marriage happy. But I was building a lot of things. I changed some career things. Um, you know, just like I think two months before that, I'd taken her to Mexico kind of with this whole thing like, hey, we're restarting. This is amazing. Everything's going so well. The future is so bright. Um, we're going to be so happy. And you know, having her be really kind of cold and then kind of leaning into me during that trip and feeling like, okay, yeah, we're making progress. We're getting this back on track. Everything's great. Uh, only to have that happen a few months later, it was shocking. You know, I, it took me a minute to really kind of go, okay, this is happening. This is really happening. It was, it was a surprise and, uh, very, very painful. Um, I'm sure a lot of, you know, your audience, they feel this and have felt this. Um, it's an intense situation to go through, really intense. Yeah, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, what you found out about her planning in a second. But yeah. how many years had you been married whenever this conversation happened? So it was right around 20 years. I think, we, I think it was 20, 21 by the time the divorce was finalized. So... So going back a couple of years before that, looking back at it now, what, what red flags were there that 
this was you were heading down this road, maybe not really realizing it at the time. Yeah, yeah, there were a lot of red flags. Um, so one of my the one I, I point to all the time, and I'd seen it earlier in, in my marriage, and it had proven to be um, kind of a bellwether of hard things coming that there were other things going on, and I thought we'd taken care of that, but um, I would call it the secret life inject the name of your spouse here right the secret life of whatever her name was because it just there was just the secret life going on for example i could be working at home and she had an office upstairs we had a, a business together and then i had my stuff going on i could go up and she'd be gone the car would be in the garage but she'd be gone and she'd be gone for hours and you know it turned out that Oftentimes she was walking, but she was talking to somebody on the phone. And so you start to see these things where it's like, oh, the, phone, the phone's ringing and she goes into her office and closes the door, which, you know, I mean, when you have children, young children, that's just not something you do. And it would always kind of go like, huh, who is she talking to? And what is she talking about that can't be shared? I mean, we're in business together. We have children together. Okay, sure. It's being it's a business call, and the kids are being noisy. Great, but that usually wasn't the case. Um, so there was just a lot of that going on. A lot of hours that were unaccounted for. A lot of phone calls that took precedence. You know, I remember even coming back from Mexico. We we're sitting in the airport in Denver, and uh, suddenly she's just furiously texting, and I'm just sitting there like, we've had this great trip, and we're still have a moment to be connected, but I was completely, it was as though I didn't exist and I could not ask. I'd tried to ask and I would get like, oh, I'm talking to my sister or it's none of your business sort of thing. Um, those are pretty big red flags. I think if your marriage is in a place where, I mean, truly I, going forward, if you can't say, who are you texting? And that if, without it producing a fight or something, you're probably in pretty treacherous territory by then, um, especially in the world we live in. I mean, you've got to be so transparent and everybody knows that. Um, as soon as you start going secret, going into the secret world, you've got problems probably. So, um, I but I chose to agree with you. What's that? I think most people would agree with you on that. Yeah. So that was, that was a big red flag. Um, there were flat kind of red flags business wise you know we built this business together and you know <laughs> it was great i built this really great graph as we were going through the divorce process just you know business was doing this and this and this and this every year and then suddenly for the last three years before the divorce it went like this yeah. and you know get explained away. oh i lost this client i did that you know this happened this that happened and she's the money person in the marriage. She's the one with the MBA. She's very smart. So I, I would just believe that. And I never really took a hard look at the finances, but clearly it was, it was not accidental. It was very designed because, you know, you hit that. And then as soon as the divorce is in play, suddenly it goes like this again. But uh, that was happening. And that was another red flag that I missed. Um, Communication, all of it, everything, intimacy, all of it became really strained. And things that, you know, little things, for example, we'd gone through a really hard patch in our marriage about midway through. And one of the things that came out was, hey, you know, she would tell me in the morning, I want you to come up to me and hug me and tell me you love me. That means a lot to me. So I made a practice of doing that. And I remember I don't know, maybe six months before the divorce set in, going up and hugging her one morning and having her just turn on me and go, uh-uh, no, I don't like it when you do that. Okay. And it's like that sort of shift is another pretty big red flag that something has changed. Um, and anyway, so there were a lot of things like that, but, um, you know, you definitely process as you're going through the divorce, like, man, what did I miss? How was I so stupid not to see this? How did I not act on it? Um, I felt like, again, I, I was very patient. I thought I was doing all the things or most of the things that she wanted me to be doing. Um, I thought I was providing in a way that she wanted to be provided for, maybe not entirely, but I was 
on that trajectory. I was trying to become, I mean, I really, I think at that point, I'd given away a lot of myself and thought, okay, this marriage has been really hard, but I have these children. That's important to keep them in this marriage. And, you know, I need to do what's best for them. I'm going to lean into the marriage and try to be the best person I can be for her. And I really thought I was making progress. Um, but maybe it was too little too late. Um, maybe, you know, maybe this was just always the destiny given the way the marriage played out and given um, that we are very different people. Um, I don't know. I mean, in so many ways, I don't know that anybody has the answer to that question. I'm not even sure she has the answer to that question. Um, she seemed really determined and again, had a lot of things to say, hurtful things to say about why I was not an adequate spouse, not a fit spouse, not the person she wanted to be with, um, that were very, very hurtful. But, you know, now all these years later, I mean, here's kind of an interesting anecdote. It was, I think, last fall, I got an email from her. And in this email, she apologized. She's, she's like, I'm so sorry for all the really mean things I said and for the mean things I did. And, you know, I was listening to the attorneys and acting on all this stuff. And so, and if you know her, <laughs> like, if, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just not her at all. But it tells you that a lot of things, there were a lot of voices, I think, in her head saying, you need to do this, you need to get out. Um, which is another principle, I think, and, and your audience will recognize this, is that misery loves company. That idea is, is really pernicious. People who are in a hard place often want to pull other people in with them. And I would say, if there was any one big glaring reason why my marriage failed is that uh, my spouse at the time was surrounded by several key people that were very miserable and they just, you've got to be joining us. You've got to come into this place with us. And so anyway, that's, and that, that would be my biggest probably explanation as to why it happened. Uh, <laughs> and not, I'm not a perfect human being. I have my shortcomings, my downfalls, you know, I argue, have a temper, all of that stuff falls short. Um, but just, I don't know, in retrospect, that would be, I, I think if you open the door and let other people come into your marriage and start saying things about your marriage is awful, your husband is awful, and you don't contest that, you believe it, you're on a really slippery slope. You're probably not going to recover at that point. So, Well, it sounds like you weren't, it sounds like you weren't completely happy either in the marriage. Um, no, I wasn't completely happy. That's true. Um, and, and that has been, that was something I would have, you know, admitted to back then that it was a hard marriage, um, a hard, a difficult person to be married to. Our personalities are very different. Um, she was rarely emotionally available. She wasn't super supportive of the things that I wanted to do and the things I was passionate about. Um, yeah, it was it was constantly tricky. I mean, we had a very different view of finances. A lot of things were different, you know. Um, when we lined up, things were great, but that became less and less often as we moved along. So, yeah, not necessarily happy either. Um, nonetheless, I guess my personal, con you know, just the way I'm built is I – I don't want to give up. I don't, I, I fought hard to save it. I'm not a quitter. And, you know, maybe that goes into the idea of the identity, which so many of us guys at this point in life are like, okay, well, I identify with my marriage. That's a huge part of who I am and what I do things for. Even if my marriage sucks, <laughs> this is the way it is. And so the threat of losing that, it's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. You know, what, what happens now? Who am I now? What does that mean for me? Um, Nonetheless, yeah. So at this point, you know, having processed it, I am grateful. And it's like, wow, I don't have to wake up in that world anymore. I don't have to, you know, answer for every little thing. Hey, I'm going to take the kids to dinner. Great. I would have had to answer for that probably early on, you know, in my marriage. Or we're going to go on a trip or we're going to hang out this weekend. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Live spontaneously 
you know, uh, more spontaneously, which is kind of my style, I would have always had to answer for that and face the pushback. And it's like, oh, I don't have that anymore. This is great. Um, my parenting style can be more fluid, more free. Um, it's not, ha doesn't have to be tempered or filtered by somebody else. And then just in terms of life, I mean, I can pursue the things I want to pursue and um, find joy in that. And then, you know, ultimately when you start dating again, you do find that, wow, you know, like I'll, I'll never forget the first date I went on sitting there in a restaurant and having a woman just like kind of get really close to me, you know, like, Hey, wanting to be there. And I was like, Whoa, I haven't felt this for so many years. You know, like you think I'm attractive you think I'm interesting, <laughs> you know, just to have that rekindled um, to figure out that you're interesting as a human being and you're not so bad as you've been hearing you were, that's powerful. So anyway, to get that back has been really beautiful and uh, an exciting, meaningful part of the process for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of guys, whenever you start getting back out and you have that experience that you just described, you realize just how unhappy you were in your marriage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's we all Monday morning quarterback. I know a lot of guys don't want to quit on their marriage, but I also think a lot of guys forget that they're entitled to be happy. That's not something only women are entitled to be. Men are entitled to be happy too. And I think, um, you know, divorce is, is never a one way street ever. It's two people that both people, both uh, persons in the marriage are doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not moving forward. Um, and, you know, I, a lot of times you'll say, uh, you'll hear a woman say, well, my husband cheated on me. That's why I'm getting divorced. That is, that might be the straw that broke the camel's back, but there's a whole lot more to unpack there than just an affair that happened. Um, so, all right, so you, so she tells you she wants a divorce. Now, I just, tell me a little bit about the legal process you went through. Um, you've kind of uh, insinuated that it wasn't very pleasant already. So tell me a little bit about the legal process that you went through with her. Uh, yeah, it was pretty intense. So, you know, right out of the gate, I was in denial and there was some, as far as she was concerned, you know, we went into counseling and pretty quickly it became evident that the whole point of counseling for her was to get me diagnosed with some kind of, you know, personality disorder or whatever. Um, there was a whole agenda in the way she was approaching things. She was you know, she had attorneys, I would find she'd been working with attorneys for three years leading up to the divorce. So she knew what she was doing and she was drawing this along. Um, but it took me a while to, to, you know, get an attorney and to figure out what to do about that. And I actually have a brother who's a divorce attorney um, in another state. And I was talking to him and working for him. So I had some, or working with him and I had that advantage. Um, even then it took a while to finally get somebody. And of course she had, you know, enlisted the attorney that in our community is known as, you know, the man crusher, the one woman that just none of the other attorneys can stand up to. She's the gun you go to if you want to really just ruin your ex-husband. So that's who she was using. And I had a hard time actually finding attorneys that wanted to stand up to her. That's what the reputation of this other attorney is. Um, so I, I worked, I called around, I actually really somehow lucked out. I got through to this older attorney. I was his second to last case. He'd been in law for 30 years and he was known as the one guy that could stand up to this other attorney. And he's like, well, you know, I'm just getting ready to retire. I don't want to take on a big messy case like yours, but I have a junior attorney here. I'm going to let you, if you want to work with him, great. And then I'll just kind of be a supervisor and mentor you along. And that worked out to be a really great combination. Um, so it was about six months after the kind of revelation that we were getting divorced that things heated up and we got into all of the nasty <laughs> back and forth of filing for divorce, um, you know, the responses, all of that stuff. And it was intense. There was a lot of communication that went on um most of it was very very hurtful you know just documents uh containing uh man i'll never forget it i'm a writer and i 
did a lot of the writing and response. And I feel like that's all I did for six months was just try to respond. And, you know, I don't know how things are in your state, but in this state, they've just done a paperwork reduction act. So, you know, there would be, I could write 200 pages in response to, well, he did this and he said this and this happened and that happened, but you got to condense it down to 10 pages to deliver it to the court. Otherwise you're going to get, you know, dinged for delivering an overpaged document, oversized document. And it was intense. I mean, just so much stuff. Again, so much preparation had gone into her end of things. She'd prepared a lot of the filings, a lot of the motions, a lot of the kind of incriminating stuff already. And so to face that and have to respond to it was, I mean, again, I, I don't envy anybody that's going through this right now. I know a couple of people that are, you know, I'm coaching some people that are, and it's intense. It really, really is intense to have to respond to those things with the uncertainty of, if I don't respond, if I just lay down, I'm going to get steamrolled here and lose everything. And yet the fight is so painful. It's just so exhausting and overwhelming. That's why so, so many men give up. That's why so many men just, you know, give in and whatever their wives want, they just give in because they don't want to go through this whole fight. Um, I think, I think you've uh, pointed out a bunch of really good things about the process, which is, um, you know, there is always a better way to get divorced rather than go down the route you did where you're in court fighting all the time. Uh, but your wife and now ex-wife, um, she chose the path. She wanted to have this fight with you, which is even more egregious than just getting divorced. She, she chose this. And that's, I want people to always think about that. Whenever yeah. your spouse chooses to go down the court route, as opposed to the mediation route and other routes that you can go down, they've made a conscious decision that they want to drag you through this. So it's not just ending the marriage. It's they yeah. want to hurt you. They yeah. want to punish yeah. you. And um, just always keep that in mind because everyone makes a decision when they get divorced. Yeah. Uh, when did you realize and uh, that, um, you know, that she wasn't going to play nice? I mean, that first night when she was sitting on the bed, it didn't sound like it really probably dawned on you then. How long after that point yeah. did you realize she's going scorched earth on you? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And I was just thinking as you were explaining about the decision part. So, you know, we get six months in. I'm just trying everything I can. I'm going to counseling. I'm embracing everything she's telling me. Okay, sure. I'll, you know, I'm going to be better at this, do this, do that. Um, and yeah, it was like, so what do you, do you know if we're getting divorced yet or not? You know, she didn't know, but she was just milking it along um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, there was a lot of money going, you know, from here, ending up in France, whatever, whatever, whatever. There was just a lot happening. And anyway, I, I, it finally came down to, we, we took a drive one day and I was like, okay, this looks like this is going to happen. So if we really step back, we're both smart people. We're both well-educated. We know the situation. There's a really easy way to divide everything. Just the two of us, you know, we bring in an attorney to finalize stuff, divide it, and everything's going to be great. If we don't do this, it's going to be World War III. So we drove up the canyon. We had this long talk, probably the, the best talk I've had with her in all of these years, right? It was seemed like she was really willing to kind of consider everything came back home and she seemed to be agreeing with me. I pulled into our driveway and I thought, man, all these years, she doesn't agree with very much. So let me just <laughs> double check. So I pulled out, drove around the neighborhood again, said, okay, this is what I heard you say. Is this what you're thinking? No, that's not what I said at all. Boom. And then we went, you know, within a week or so, I had, I don't know how big that document, first document was. It was huge, full of all kinds of hurtful things. And um, we're off to the races at that point, you know. And again, a lot of calculations had been made to help her fight this thing and it, shock and awe. That's what I'd call it. That was, it was very, the strategy was shock and awe. And I had worked um, for this attorney and still does to this day. She just, it all comes at you at once. 
And as a dad and a man working and already hurting, you go, okay, I don't know what to do. Just show me where to sign, <laughs> take it all. I'll start over, here you go. And I think that was the most interesting part is my former spouse and I think her attorney were really shocked. She thought this was gonna be a slam dunk, just steamroller me, give up, take everything. And when I stood back and thought, you know, hell no. I'm not, no. I've tried to be the best person here. I am the better person. I really can honestly say that. I've taken the high road in this. I'm not gonna give you everything. I've worked just as hard as you have. All of this matters as much to me. I'm not gonna show my kids that I'm just walking away, hell no. And I think that was the best choice. I mean, it's sad that we had to go down that road. It's expensive, the toll emotionally was huge in every way. I mean, it, I'm still, I'm five years into this and I'm still recovering in a lot of ways, you know, still, still, still rebuilding, but um, it was worth it. It was worth it to fight back and to fight back, you know, taking the high road, but still fighting. And it's like, okay, you pulled the gloves off. Okay. The gloves are coming off now then. Her yeah, choice. Yeah, you can do both. You can take off your gloves and still go the high road. How much did uh, this divorce cost your family? Um, so I don't even know with her part. I mean, mine was probably 30,000, the first part. We've been back several times. So we've been back, we had the settlement, then we back back over real estate. Then we went back over the, all the custody stuff. Um, because, you know, here I am with my kids full time paying her child support, mm -hmm. um, which didn't make any sense. And that took a lot of years to work through, <laughs> um, renting my children from her. But uh, it's overall, I don't know. Every time you go back, it's, you know, five or seven grand more. And then I don't know what her part of it was. Uh, I think more than even just the upfront cost is the opportunity cost, the time cost, the life cost. Um, but again, you can choose to look at this as, okay, I'm making an investment in my future. And I'm going to start from really low. I've been, you know, it's like boot camp. You've been knocked down. You're just as low as you can go. Been demoralized. And that's the place you start to rebuild. And you become a better human from there if you embrace the opportunity. So um, it was it was expensive, it was painful, but it has been, by and large, it's been a really beautiful process, a really empowering thing to go through. And, you know, each day I have to choose um, to be grateful for this, have to choose to embrace the opportunity to look around and go, man, okay, this is cool. I'm, I'm not with her anymore, you know? Um, I have to embrace them with this person now and I have to choose, okay, this is great. Sometimes it's not so great. <laughs> you know, what does the future look like? Right. It, I have to embrace that and believing that it's better. It is. And I, and I can honestly say that it is, it's been better. I mean, my relationship with my kids is amazing. Um, so many things about my life are I, I can't even really kind of mentally, and I have a good imagination as a writer. I can't even mentally think of what it would be like to still be in that marriage right now. It would just be like, ah, so hard. So, so hard. Well, I think that is a great thing for guys to hear everything you just said. No matter how bad it is, you can look back and think, I'm glad I, I'm glad it happened because now I'm happier. Now I've got a better life. Um, and, you know, your relationship with your kids is great. Um, you're showing your kids, you know, that if you're not in a great marriage, you know, it's not it's not the end of the world to move on. I mean, that's something that a lot of people are scared of showing their children. But, you know, you don't want your kids to be unhappy. Well, I will tell you, James, I think we could talk for another hour because I, we even get into like how the kids were impacted by the divorce, how you guys finished the divorce and all of these, you know, these five years you've been post-divorce. I mean, I would love to hear about co-parenting, dating, you know, how you adjust your mindset. So we may have to have another conversation. There's so much more to cover. Well, if I can be helpful, I mean, really, I would love to. I, I just want to encourage all the guys out there that are going through this. Hold on, take the high road, you know, fight, Follow your attorney if you're in that process. Listen to good counsel. Do what you're supposed to. Stay up late writing, you know, responding, 
go do the do the dirty work, the hard work now because it will pay off later. You won't regret it. You really won't. Um, and then choose. Choose to make this an opportunity. This is beautiful. I mean, seriously, that, you know, you have your first girlfriend after after a divorce and you cuddle up to her and it's like, oh, wow. You know, <laughs> this was totally worth it, right? Like, this is the healing part. So it's all coming. It's all there. You just have to believe and be grateful and lean into it. So Wonderful, James. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I think a lot of guys are going to take away a lot of really great things from what you just said. Well, I hope so. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me on. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. We'll see you next time.